Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. Well, as you've probably noticed, I have not had an episode in a couple weeks. We have been extremely busy actually covering the Olympics. And it was an incredible Olympic Games for the LGBTQ community. Back in June, Jim and I were talking with John Ness at Vox Media and we said we really wanted to shift how people viewed these Summer Olympic Games. We really wanted people to view the whole games through an LGBTQ lens. And when we started creating our list of all the LGBTQ athletes that we knew of competing in Tokyo and attending the games in Tokyo, as it grew to 121 and 132, it was amazing to watch the media respond to it. By the time it was at about 172, I think, was kind of the number where it just exploded. And NPR and the Associated Press and Reuters and the New York Times, I mean, everybody was writing about it. It was amazing to watch. And it was, you know, a, a, brought a real sense of pride to Jim and me and everybody at Outsports. Um, you know, Shelby and Carly and Ken, and Brian, and Alex, uh, the folks at Vox Media. I mean, everybody took a lot of pride in the incredible uh, work that we did. We did. We did really good work with you covering the Olympic Games. And then covering Team LGBTQ uh, and, and seeing collectively all the out-athletes finish seventh overall. Um, that was pretty awesome to see. So, you know... A, that's why I haven't had an episode in a while. We were really busy doing all of that. Uh, as I was thinking about how I wanted to take a look back at the Olympic Games, I really thought about looking ahead to what is ahead. And Amazon Letty is somebody that we've featured on Outsports in the past. And being an Asian LGBTQ advocate in sports, I really wanted her perspective on the Games, uh, and, and also looking ahead to the Beijing Olympics, which are also in Asia next February, and the Gay Games, which are going to be in Hong Kong uh, late next year, as of now anyway. So, you know, I really wanted to have her to come on and share her perspective and give us insights into how somebody who's LGBTQ and Asian looks at this, this series of events being held in Asia, sporting events, in a, in a really short period of time. So I hope you enjoy my conversation looking back at the Olympics and looking ahead to the Olympics with Amazon Letty. So Amazon, you and I have been talking about the lead up to kind of this period of the Olympics and the Paralympics and, and, and the Summer and Winter Olympics and the Gay Games all happening uh, in Asian countries in a very short period of time. And now that the Olympics in Tokyo are behind us, what were kind of some of your big takeaways or the big stories that leapt out at you from kind of this first foray into these big international events being hosted in Asia? You know, I think Tokyo 2021 has probably been one of the best Olympics for the Asian community. You know, we've had such a difficult year over the last year and a half with this rise of 
anti-Asian hates and you know Asian athletes coming out and sharing their stories and athletes in general using this platform of athlete activism that we've never seen bef before. And then, you know, going into the Tokyo 2021 Olympics and just seeing so many Asian athletes from all different parts of the world just doing so well and celebrated and winning gold medals, silver medals. I mean, I think of Sansei Lei who won all the medals. I think of Sky Brown, you know, one of the youngest Olympic athletes who came out with a silver medal and seeing such positive representation of Asian athletes and obviously seeing, you know, a, a couple of LGBTQ um, Asian athletes. And I think such a wonderful way to start this domino effect of, you know, all the other major sports events happening in 2022 in Asia. You know, it's interesting when I, when I watched the Olympics over the last few weeks, I did so through a almost entirely LGBTQ lens. I mean, I, I cheered for the LGBTQ athletes. I was every morning I'd wake up, I'd check how they had done because they were largely competing while we were sleeping here in Los Angeles. Uh, even to the point where when Team Canada played the United States women's national team, I was cheering for Team Canada in hopes that Quinn would be the first trans and non-binary medalist and, and, and that happened for them. When you watch the games, is, what lens do you find yourself most looking, um, watching them and looking at them? You just mentioned a bunch of Asian athletes. Is it that lens? Is it the LGBTQ lens? Is it the humanitarian lens? Like what lens are you really watching the games through? You know, I'm watching the lens through an Asian lens. And yes, you know, I, I, I saw the LGBTQ athletes, but for me, it, it wasn't the, the, the brightest lens. And I think only for me because of the, the lack of Asian representation there. And, you know, I, I, when I watched these games, you know, I thought of myself as an athlete when, you know, when I was growing up and not seeing that kind of positive Asian representation and also us winning so many medals across multiple countries um, it just made me feel you know very happy for my community and just thinking of you know Asian kids now watching the Olympics and being able to see this positive representation of Asian athletes you know across every single sports um, so I tend to watch through um, an, an Asian lens yeah. I, listen, everybody has that way they watch it. I, for most Americans, I know they want the Americans to win. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's how they look at it. How did Team USA do when I put on NBC? If there's not an American competing, they pretty much don't air it, uh, particularly in primetime. So, and I think that's it's really insightful because like you said at the very beginning, over the last year and a half, we have seen 
a rise uh, in negative sentiment toward Asian countries. I think particularly China, you know, with a lot of the focus on the novel coronavirus and where it in all likelihood came from, um, you know, certainly where the first reports were um, in China. And here in the United States, the, we've, we've seen violence against Asian people on the rise. Uh, so I completely appreciate and understand why that's so important to you. Has that stuff that we've seen in the United States that rise in anti-Asian sentiment and, and, and uh, Asian hate and violence, have you seen that internationally as well? Yes. I mean, it, I think what people need to realise, you know, it's not just in the US. This is a global epidemic. You know, in the UK, you know, anti-Asian sediment has risen 300%. Actually, in 2020, per capita, you know, it was Australia that had the one of the highest rates of anti-Asian sediments. Um, over the last few months, they were gathering data and they actually found in North America, it was Van Vancouver, you know, and every time someone said, you know, the China virus or the Kung flu virus, um, anti, you know, anti-Asian sediment online, you know, jumped a, a thousand per percent. So, you know, Tokyo 2021 was just such an important defining moment for the Asian community, because instead of seeing this negative sediment in the media towards our community, you saw Asian athletes in every single country winning. I believe the first gold medal in Canada was with an Asian Canadian um, athlete and just seeing you know, particularly Western countries where the, you know, the, the sediment has been, you know, the highest for obvious reasons, you know, just seeing Western countries celebrate their Asian athletes. I mean, when I watched Sunsei Lee going back to St. Paul's, you know, Minneapolis and how, you know, the whole city came out for her and just celebrated her win it was just so wonderful because we've just had so much anti-asian sediment for so long just you know through sports you know sports brought us all together it really is amazing people were asking um, us ahead of the olympics you know who are the out lgbtq athletes from asian countries and you know we could point to a couple from the philippines um, as as Ari Dute from India, there there weren't a lot, but, but what there were also a, a, a good amount of were athletes of Asian descent um, representing different countries. There was Ruby Tui, the rugby player from New Zealand, uh, Erica Sullivan, the swimmer from the United States, and so you know it's interesting that you point that out because despite the hate these Asian athletes representing some of these Western countries, um, you know, you, you have fans at home cheering on Asian athletes. And I think your point of the power of sport, it really does um, kind of break through the hate when you, when you have somebody, you know, you're, you're not, you realize that you are, you're on the same team. You're all Americans or you're all Kiwis. And I think that is a powerful part of sport. Yes, 
it, it, it really is because when you're looking through the lens of sports, you're seeing an athlete from your country win a medal. Suddenly, you know, we're not an Asian person. We're, you know, that American or British or Canadian athlete on that podium winning a medal for the country that we live in. You're Vietnamese. Do you find yourself um, cheering for Vietnamese athletes more than other Asian athletes? I mean, a lot of people in Western culture, they just kind of lump in all of Asia, but uh, that's, that's a lot of different cultures. Do you find yourself gravitating more toward cheering on Vietnamese athletes? I think I'm, I cheer more towards Vietnamese athletes. I think when I watched Tokyo, I was cheering for every Asian athlete doing well. I thought it was, fan, you know, fantastic across every country. Um, you know, Vietnam did compete um, in the Olympics and we have for, for some years and we have some amazing athletes um, that, that have come out of Vietnam and we, I think the last Olympics, you know, we um, got our first gold medal in shooting. And obviously it's my mother um, country. I'm, I'm proud for the fact, you know, that, you know, we've got to that point with our sports and our athletes in Vietnam that, you know, we can compete on the world stage just like any other country. So the, the Olympics, the, the Tokyo Olympics are behind us. Um, you know, the next up is the Tokyo Paralympics. And, you know, we at Outsports are going to be covering the Paralympics and, and out athletes, um, just as we were with the Olympics. When I look through, around through the Paralympic bios, I mean, it, it's, but these people's stories are unbelievable. Um, what are your hopes of the Paralympic? athletes in Tokyo and the Paralympics in Tokyo? You know, the same hope that I have for the Olympics, you know, we are all athletes, re regardless of your sexuality, gender identity, or what kind of disability that you have had. And, it, you know, it's this for, for an athlete to get to that level, the amount of dedication that you have to have to get to elites level, you know, and I, and I hope that, you know, the Asian athletes from all across the world and the LGBTQ athletes do really well, you know, because, you know, there, there are multiple layers of discrimination that people receive being, you know, being a minority, being from the LGBTQ community, maybe because you have a disability as well. And it's that same, token of when you're competing for your country you know I want that same hope for them that we all cheer them on and celebrate the greatness of our Paralympians just as we do our you know other Olympians at the um, Olympics that have just gone yeah I know that the, in here in the United States NBC uh, doesn't broadcast nearly as much of the Paralympics as they do the Olympics but I also know that the Paralympics touch people around the world. There's a, a, a Paralympic report after Rio that said that 4.1 billion people, 4.1 billion people had, had, had seen 
in some way some of the Paralympics. And to me, that gives me a lot of hope just because the stories are so powerful. The sports are amazing to watch and the athletes are incredible. And I do think that, you know, Tokyo hosting these Paralympians and, and putting on a fantastic show and, and honoring them, I do think that it, that it helps the, the, uh, the disabled community. And to your point, it continues to build goodwill about the humanity of the Japanese and people in Asia. Yes. It, 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 it does. And I think, you know, as, you know, I said before, you know, sport is a uniting factor. It's a language that everyone understands. And then, you know, when you step out onto the field, everything about you dissipates and it's about how amazing you are as an athlete, because, you know, it doesn't matter your sexuality, gender identity, your ethnicity, or your disability, that doesn't hold an athlete back. So headed into the Tokyo Olympics, there was, and this is kind of putting on a humanitarian LGBTQ lens, there was a, a good amount of chatter about frustration with some humanitarian rights um, in, in Japan and Tokyo. There there was a push to get anti-discrimination laws passed for the LGBTQ communities, same-sex marriage recognized, things like that, and it didn't happen. People were frustrated, but I didn't hear a lot of chatter saying that, that Japan was unfit to host the Olympics. As we head into 2022, there are a there's a lot of chatter about China and Hong Kong being unfit to host the Olympics and the gay games. And it's, be, it's it, because of the humanitarian rights, people with the gay games saying that Hong Kong is unsafe. I'm just curious your thoughts on, on all of that, on, on the ability of China to host, to host these events when they're, you know, every country has its humanitarian issues. China seems to have more than most. You know, I always think that, you know, we have to start somewhere with our conversations. And, you know, China hosted, um, you know, the Olympics many years ago. And we were in a different time then when it was obviously, you know, obviously more difficult to have conversations because the LGBTQ movement isn't in the place that it is now around the world and in. Asia. And I, you know, for me, I think it's a perfect time to have these conversations, however difficult they are, we have to become comfortable with difficult conversations. And if we continually think, oh, well, let's just boycott that part of the world, they're un unfit, we'll take the, um, you know, the game somewhere else, but then we never get a chance to have the conversation with the country and shift the needle and support the amazing LGBTQ advocates on the ground that at times need a global voice to help levitate the conversation. And I think for too long, Asia has been very invisible in terms of the LGBTQ conversation and we have this moment in time where we have so many major sports events in Asia to be able to shine that spotlight 
on LGBTQ rights in the China within the continent, but also talk about the struggles as to the reasons why we don't see the amount of out Asian athletes as we should on the current list that was displayed to the world during Tokyo 2021. I've written about the differences between, you know, giving an Olympic games to a city like Beijing, you know, Beijing is a seat of power in China. Um, you know, that's where the Winter Olympics are going to be held. There is some kind of feeling, to me anyway, that the Olympics are almost validating some of the issues that China experiences in, in a, in, because it really is you're awarding that city, you're rewarding that city for hosting. But I do think that it's a different conversation. And I think that you really hit the nail on the head when you talk about the gay games ability to really bring focus to a different conversation in a different way. And that, you know, having the gay games in a place like Hong Kong really can empower the local LGBTQ community in the way that maybe an Olympics doesn't. Um, and, and, and so I do think that is a different conversation and I do appreciate what you're saying about uh, that having the gay games in Hong Kong in the middle of issues, human rights issues, that it actually can be a positive thing for the local community. Um, I know that you're a gay games ambassador. As you talk to organizers in Hong Kong, is that how they see it, an opportunity to really help make local advances in with the community? Look, you know, we have never had a gay games in Asia. And this is pinnacle, not just, we, we have to understand it's, this is not just a conversation for Hong Kong. This is sh shining a spotlight on the entire continent because other Asian countries and other activists on the ground in other countries are looking to what's going to happen with that con conversation. And it starts a ripple effect as, as, as well. And, you know, my hope for the gay games in the Hong Kong is that we can then just finally, as a global community, shine a spotlight on being LGBTQ and being Asian and the struggles that we face in Hong Kong and across the continent, the struggles that Asian people face. So there's a better understanding within the athletic and global community and also, you know, give strength to the activists on the ground in the Hong Kong, because this will be the biggest spotlight they have ever had to, to date to have these kinds of conversations around, you know, LGBTQ equality and how you can shift that needle through the conversation of sports. And I think having something like the gay games in a place like Hong Kong, you know, I remember last autumn, I think it was we, you and, and Outsports, we, we teamed up to host a, a just a conversation with Asian LGBTQ athletes and all of you believed that was the first time that's ever happened. 
and and which is just crazy in 2020. And so, you know, the my hope is certainly that having the gay games in Hong Kong doesn't just generate more conversation within Asia, but really generates more co conversation about being Asian and being LGBTQ, regardless of being athlete or not, around the world. Because to, to, to our point last, last, whatever it was, September, October, it just never happens. No, it, it, it doesn't. We're, you know, the, we're the most populous community in the world, but the most in, invisible. And we end up just continually going under everyone's radar and the media just doesn't cover us in the way that other communities cover us. And, you know, that's my hope with, you know, all these major sports events that happen to be in Asia, you know, after Tokyo, China and then you know Hong Kong that it just continually shines this spotlight of being Asian and LGBTQ and, and what that means for us you know as you said not just in Asia but around the world and for countries to really think about how they can do better when it comes to supporting our community and for the athletic community to really take a step back and think, you know, how we can do better as an athletic community to create more safe and nurturing environments so more Asian LGBTQ athletes can come out. Because when you look at that list from Tokyo of over 170 LGBTQ athletes, we've never had so many. Not one Western country had an Asian LGBTQ athlete. And most of the Western countries had, you know, in excess of 400 athletes that they had sent to Tokyo. Um, there, there were some, um, like I said, Erica Sullivan and Ruby Tui, they were out and they were representing United States and, and New Zealand. But to your point, there were only a couple and uh, there, there, there could have been a lot more. Um, you mentioned the, just the lack of, of media coverage for the LGBTQ Asian community, which is, is obvious on its face, if you ask anybody in the know, why do you think that is? There's, there's always been a, and this stems from this stereotype of the invisible model minority myth of our community just being very in, invisible within the community in general, that you just actually don't tend to hear about Asian stories and then being Asian and LGBTQ is, you know, we're marginalized even more. And that comes down to so many different factors in terms of, you know, who, you know, who's writing the stories, you know, what network do they have? You know, many times the press needs some kind of hook and there are lack of hooks and you know we have a complete lack of data as well particularly when it comes to being asian and lgbtq in sports so you know there's a a, a a lack of a hook there and because we have so few asian lgbtq athletes that are out you know 
finding those stories becomes challenging as well. And that's why I loved what happened with Tokyo 2021 with so many Asian athletes doing so well because that shined a spotlight on our stories. And, you know, I hope that helped in terms of then that continuing going into Beijing um, Olympics and then going into the Gay Games into Hong Kong to continually levitate our stories in the press. Well, it is kind of nice. I mean, it's going to really have a bigger impact because it'll be a, a kind of a one, two, three punch instead of just, you know, a one-off, oh, you know, Tokyo host in 2020 and then something else happens six years later. It's, you know, within 14, 15 months, these three major events all happening in the same area at the same time, generating some of the similar conversation. So it's that, that kind of reinforcement in the media is, I, I think is, it, it's, it, you know, even though they didn't want the uh, Olympics to be delayed last year, it actually would be a benefit. It is, it's a benefit that we have them so, these major sports events so close because then the window is very close to the next one. So we can continually keep these conversations current without a, a massive delay between the major events. Yeah. Well, obviously, I really appreciate you taking the time and always, you know, always listening to you and trying to better understand how, how I can help and elevate voices. And I know that there are more to come. Um, so, you know, just, just stay in touch. And thank you for continuing to you know, refuse to be silent. You're always talking about this and speaking about this and, and pushing people like me and Outsports and others to, to, to not let invisibility for, for particularly LGBTQ Asian athletes creep back in. No, thank you for having me and supporting, continuing to support the Asian LGBTQ athletic community. You can find Amazon on social media. It's A-M-A-Z-I-N. Leti is L-E-T-H-I. Just search for Amazon's name and you'll find her on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, I, we talked a little bit about concerns heading into Hong Kong for the gay games. Um, we are going to be covering that a little bit on Outsports and we're going to be talking about it more because it is a very interesting issue. Um, hoping they can hold a, a safe large-scale uh, gay games in Hong Kong, but well, that conversation is, will be for another day. Uh, I really hope that you come back in the coming weeks. There are the Paralympics ahead, and I have some Paralympians joining, some Olympians joining. We've been in contact with various people who are competing in Tokyo, so they'll be joining my podcast, uh, Carly Webb's podcast, the Transporter Room, and others. Uh, so, you know, we, we, even though the Olympics fade into the past quickly at Outsports and for a lot of our readers, they don't. So we're going to keep bringing you voices from in and around the Olympic Games, and I hope you'll come on back next week. <laughs>